believe it or not. Strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Unbelievable? Believe it. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibilities. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brent. So, Ryan, I was preparing for today's topic, and I was thinking about all the movies that have featured some form of an imaginary friend. Oh, right. right. So let's think about this. Um, so there was The Exorcist. Uh, Captain Howdy. Yes, there was yeah. Fight Club. Fight Club, right, right. Spoiler alert for everybody who hasn't seen it. The hunt. There was the early 90s cult classic Drop Dead Fred. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 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 There was Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal at his best. Absolutely my favorite performance by him and the best use of an Echo and the Bunnymen song in a movie. Fantastic. Um, I would argue that Castaway should be on Oh, that that's list. really good. Right? Yeah, Wilson. Wilson, Wilson yeah. has to count. Yeah. Uh, he was his psychic release valve. Right? Yeah, it was, that was really good. Yeah. Who else? Would, would you count Pixar's Inside Out on that list? Or Maybe. That you know, different? I've only seen parts of that, to be honest with you. Um, so, but maybe, I mean, those are the characters are in her head, right? And that's the thing. They're all her emotions. Her emotions. Got so they're not it, yeah. imaginary. Yeah. Did um, you ever have an imaginary friend? I, I don't think so. I've never heard my parents make any reference. So I've never remembered any kind of imaginary anybody. Uh, you never did anything like you, like if you were shooting baskets by yourself, like you played both teams or. Um, yeah, I, I would do that from time to time, but I don't think think it ever went into like the the realm of like having an imaginary person like guard me who was always there you know really? it wasn't like <laughs> rex chapman was always guarding me or anything like that but like i, I mean did. and i was always oh, way, oh you did <laughs> that was always way better than the imaginary friend i was definitely one of those weirdo kids who played like <laughs> board games alone like switching switching sides of the board you did uh, as if I had three friends there. <laughs> is it because you really had no friends? Is that is that There's why? nothing sadder than a child <laughs> playing hungry, hungry hippos by himself. <laughs> the arms flailing on both sides. I would argue that it takes a little bit of talent to be able to do that. Uh, we lived in Nebraska at the time, so, you know, what are you going to do? There's really no one else in Nebraska. <laughs> what are you going to do? So, so back to the movies. All of the movies kind of fall into the categories of horror or maybe right. psychological what thriller? The Shining, right? Yeah. Or comedies, um, right. but but none directly involve the topic that we're exploring today, which is tulpamancers, and and those are uh, people who believe they can use the tradition of Buddhist mysticism to conjure a being purely by thinking about it. That's fascinating. Uh, so, can we talk to them? Um, I mean... Can we try? I suppose, sure. <sighs> so can I talk to Chip as well while I'm talking to you? You can absolutely talk to Dee while you're talking to me. Ah, am I talking to Chip right now? Yes, indeed. Chip, how are you? All right, so in the mid-1990s, an author named David Weatherly was living in Washington, D.C. when he encountered something he'd never seen before. He encountered a man from Tibet who invited him to help Tibetan refugees settle in the United States. During the course 
of working with these people on a regular basis, I tried to make friends with the various uh, Tibetans that were housed in this in this townhouse, and I noticed that there was one individual who seemed to kind of, I didn't know if I had offended him or what was wrong. He was very standoffish. He wouldn't really acknowledge me. I knew a lot of these guys didn't speak English anyway, uh, but even just trying simple things, he wouldn't really interact with me or anything. So I ended up asking um, the gentleman who kind of became my teacher for a while. I asked him, you know, if I had done something to offend him, if something was wrong. And he just uh, smiled at me. He said, no, no, he is uh, Tulpa. Today, David has written more than 20 books on everything from cryptids and ghosts to UFOs and black-eyed kids. Back when this encounter took place, David says that he vaguely remembered reading about tulpas, which are the living manifestations of tulpamancers. But David's experience writing about the paranormal wasn't enough to prepare him for what he'd just seen, at least not yet. And this was kind of the beginning point for me to start looking at this really in depth, because as I learned more about the gentleman I had seen among the Tibetans, I, I eventually learned that a, uh, a gentleman who was there in this group uh, essentially had created a tulpa has a, a, a son. Uh, you know, wow. always wanted a son, and that was that was the accepted uh, paradigm that all of these, this whole group of, of Tibetans, uh, thought about this young man. Now. You know, I, I, this was incredibly fascinating. First of all, of course, it's hard to wrap your brain around in a yes. sense because we're talking about a living physical person for all intents and purposes. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I saw him walk around, sit, you know, interact. And the more I learned about this concept of tulpas, the more intriguing the whole idea became. So the twist of the story here is that the man's son was supposedly created by him, that he kind of thought him into existence, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this is, we've done some weird stories, right? This might be the weirdest. Well, um, if you dare to check it out on Reddit, you can definitely go down a rabbit hole when you investigate this topic. Weatherly's story really was just the tip of the iceberg here. Some of the beings, like in the story, seem to live a very real existence, while others seem to live only inside of their creators. So in case this is confusing, we found the world's leading psychiatrist on the topic, Dr. Samuel Paul Vessier of McGill University in Montreal. Lastly, we wanted to find someone who could tell us a bit about what it's like to create a tulpa. So we were able to meet a group online who are convinced they have created these separate beings that are, as we said, living inside their own bodies. And we'll get to that in a few. But first, let's meet Dr. Vessier, assistant professor of psychiatry, co-director of the Culture, Mind, and Brain program, and associate member in the Department of Anthropology at McGill University. Yeah, a tulpa is an imaginary companion um, that becomes, or that is said to have become sentient, and that is uh, typically interacted with uh, an experience by the host, so that's the human person, as uh, 
a semi-permanent hallucination, uh, typically an auditory hallucination like a voice. However, it is not at all uh, a mental illness. So tulpomancy was very interesting for me on multiple levels because it helps us rethink, for example, what we think is a mental illness, but it also helps us rethink the role of the internet in, in a sense, inviting or producing new experiences because it's also a subculture that, in a sense, spread online. Yeah, so the subject first came to my attention in a New York Times column written by uh, Professor Tanya Lerman, uh, who's a very famous anthropologist working at Stanford. And, and Tanya Lerman works on voice hearing, um, and especially on people who hear voices but who are not mentally ill. So uh, she had just mentioned this practice. So like you, I you know, Googled it. That was back in 2014 and went down the rabbit hole spent a lot of time on the Reddit forum, which at the time was one of the primary places where Talpa Mansers met, started chatting with them. Um, and then I eventually uh, designed a really big survey, collected tons of data, uh, both sort of qualitative data on people's experiences, but also a bit of psychological data, like running a few, a few tests. And I ended up writing, it, uh, writing a few papers on, on Talpa Mansi. Uh, my take on this is that, um, Something like tulpamancy draws on completely fundamentally normal mechanisms of the human mind because the human mind is already very social. We already think about and think through other people. Um, so, for example, children very often uh, develop an imaginary friend. Uh, it just so happens that in, in most cultures, after a certain age, it's not considered very serious you know, to mention your imaginary friend in public. But what if you have a culture where... Uh, it's not so much accepted, but it is valued to have an imaginary friend. And what if that culture has a set of visualization and meditation techniques to make the experience more vivid? So there's also lots of parallels with different types of meditations or even religious experiences. So ta Professor Tanya Lerman that I mentioned, for example, um, she works on uh, prayer and uh, especially evangelical Christians through, uh, who after a period of basically mental training come to hear the voice of their God. Uh, as again, a kind of an auditory hallucination. And this is again, something that feels really good to them, that is meaningful um, and that is not at all a mental illness. So we understand more and more that voice hearing is something kind of normal. Uh, in fact, there are also many people who just kind of hear voices and who don't have a mental illness. So Talpamancers just harness this capacity. Dr. Vessier told us that the first mention of Tulpas in the Western world goes back to a travel writer in the 1920s named Alexandra David Neal. She'd made her way to Tibet and while there studied their rituals and mysticism. In 1929, she published the book Magic and Mysticism in Tibet, where she chronicled her experience with what was known as Sprolpa. She renamed it Tulpa, which again is someone or something created by the spiritual energy of Tulpa Mansers. Alexandra David Neal reported various encounters with Tulpa and even claimed to have created one herself over several months. It was a jolly monk character that started out peaceful and friendly, but eventually 
he began to act on his own, becoming bold and mean. She felt as if she were losing control of it and quickly began rituals to end the experiment. She said she was able to dissolve it after six months. Then in the 1930s, the Theosophical Society in Britain, which was basically uh, kind of like an early New Age group interested in spirituality, they picked up on the idea of topomancy and they called it thought form. So they were interested in the ways in which the mind can bring things into being. Now, and then the idea sort of uh, goes under the radar for many years. And then in 2012, somehow, in a 4chan forum, uh, dedicated to My Little Pony, and, and uh, it was uh, a forum, you, you might have heard of bronies, these uh, adult male fans of My Little Pony. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a forum, a 4chan forum dedicated to ponies and lucid dreaming, and someone brought up this topomancy thing, said, hey, it seems we might be able to like use some visualization techniques to, in a sense, lucid dream in waking life, and we may be able to create imaginary companions, like say, Uh, imaginary ponies and then after that people started uh, so on the internet people started reading up on the practice more and then uh, coming up with like how-to guides like wiki guides for how to create a tulpa then the reddit community was born and then well in a sense the first generation of tulpa mentors were born uh, reporting on on their progress in in the development of their tulpas and then well then in 2014 um, I, I wrote the first paper on this. I did an interview with uh, Vice. So there was a Vice article in 2014 that made in the fall that made the practice even more popular. And then, yeah, it's become even more of a, of a thing since then. Clearly, a man of science like Dr. Bessier wouldn't believe these things are real, right? Uh, you might imagine that he considers tulpas as a sort of psychic allegory or maybe even a mental illness. So we asked him. That is a very good question. Okay, so the... The first answer that I have to give you, which is not a satisfactory one, is that on one level, there's no way of knowing ever because we can never record or read or hear other people's thoughts, right? Um, So because, you know, the fact that you have a mind and that you have a voice inside your mind is something that I can assume, but I can't prove that actually you have, you can think silently in your own mind. But uh, we are, however... uh, so again, with Professor Tanya Lerman at Sanford uh, and her postdoctoral student, uh, Dr. Michael Lifshitz, who's leading the study, um, we are currently running neuroimaging studies of topomancers, uh, and we hope to see whether uh, their topas voices uh, are have the same brain signature as like somebody else's voice heard by the host or their own thoughts. So the so-called uh, neural decoding and neuroimaging for this is still a uh, work in progress. Um, but I would say that it's, it's pretty hopeful that we're going to find something that is very clearly different in Tulpamensis' brains uh, than in people who don't have Tulpas. Now, uh, to give you a bit more detail on this very interesting question, it is very likely that different Tulpamensis have different experiences and that this depends on uh, time, months and years of practice on the one hand, and on individual uh, personality traits. So it is very possible that for some Talpa mentors, their, their Talpas sound a little bit more like their own voice. Maybe it's like even a little effortful, like they have to sort of do a bit of mental gymnastics to talk to themselves. Whereas for others, it may sound clearly like somebody else's voice. 
and for others it may even sound like a voice outside of their head. Uh, and this reflects the broad variety in just voice hearing experience that we know also exists uh, in, for example, people with schizophrenia or people with hallucination. Um, but, but again, I'll invite you to think about just how most people, even non-topomancers, always have topa-like experiences. So for example, if you're walking down the street and you see something that you know your wife would like or something, you have a sort of a spontaneous topa-like moment where it's as though you have sort of like, you can see the world through the eyes of your wife for a second and you decide to send her a picture because you know you know she would like this, but it's really like, it's more like a topa of your wife pops up in your mind and like just brings a thought to you. And, and this is not necessarily voluntary. It's not like, oh, you decide to think about your wife. No, the, the thought just pops up in your mind. So, so these, these experiences happen all the time. And again, when we cultivate them, they become sort of automatic, like learning how to read a new alphabet or learning a new skill like driving a car, right? So in the beginning, it's effortful. You have to like will it into being. And after a while, it becomes completely automatic. This is what we think is going on. It's, it's just wild. Uh, so forgive my ignorance on this topic, but what is the difference between someone who is describing the the tulpas that they have in their head and then someone else who is suffering from a multiple personality disorder? What would be the, the difference between those two people? Okay, so first, multiple personality disorder is not really a thing in psychiatry anymore uh, because it probably does not exist. It for sure does not exist uh, in the way, you know, you see it in movies where people become possessed by another person. So we have something called dissociative identity disorder where people just sort of blank out sometimes and they don't remember what was going on. Um, Perhaps another parallel might be something like schizophrenia or psychosis, where people hear voices in their head and that causes them a lot of distress. I now, see. now, the key difference between, say, schizophrenia and palpamancy is that palpamancy is voluntary. It's something that, first of all, you know, uh, the host, they want to have these experiences and these experiences feel good to them and they bring meaning to their lives. Whereas for most people with schizophrenia, it's an involuntary, unwanted experience that is terrifying. You, know, you wake up in the morning and you have these, these voices saying these really confusing or really scary things, and that causes a lot of distress. But really, uh, you know, the difference there is at the level of the, you know, the voluntariness and the, the meaning that is attached to the experience. And again, for people with psychosis or schizophrenia, they typically have more disorganized cognition, uh, really kind of messy thinking and like sort of paranoid thinking most of the time. Topomenses don't have that. Uh, most of them are, are perfectly normal. Their, their, their thinking works just fine. From, uh, from a psychological, mental health and psychiatric perspective, um, the definition of mental illness is very practical. It's very pragmatic. It's, you know, and there's usually three dimensions. Is someone stressed out? Do they have personal distress? Do they report that they have difficulty functioning because of whatever is going on in their head? And then do other people also report that they're, uh, that they're messed up? And does that impair their personal functioning, social functioning, and professional functioning? But you know, there are people who they hear voices, uh, they might not even be topomancers, and it gives meaning to their lives, it makes them happy, it does not bother their loved ones, they're able to get up and go to work and contribute to society, then there's no problem, then there's no mental illness, right? 
Now we want you to hear the Tulpa experience for yourself. Let's introduce you to D. Aloysius, a 26-year-old restaurant server living in Columbus, Ohio, who is part of a Tulpa group on Facebook. We met him there where he says he joined a few years ago when the group had 60 members from across the world. Two years later, the group now has 600 members and is growing every day. As a young child, Dee had an imaginary friend. Over about five years, over which Dee did suffer from some depression, Dee says he learned to create that friend into a tulpa named Chip, who is an anthropomorphic feline. Chip now occupies part of Dee's body, and sometimes Chip takes over. Um... I think it was just a normal kind of kid thing. I liked using my imagination as much as possible. I loved running around in the woods outside of my house, like out back and like, you know, picking up sticks, sword fighting with the air. Mm -hmm. I loved doing that stuff. I'd do it every day. And then, you know, video games came along and there were even more stories to explore and think about and, you know, pretend to do that out in the woods. Were you by yourself, though? Um... I mean, I had other friends as well, but um, all of that was spent, you know, with my imaginary friend as well. Okay. You know, other kids kind of thought, you know, Dee's kind of the weird kid because he's got his imaginary friend all the time. But I didn't think anything of it because I was like nine. I suppose from then to now, he became more of like a permanent fixture in my mind rather than something I would bring up personally. You know, I would focus on him then he would be there. Now it's more like he's just sort of always present. And, you know, uh, meditating on him, I can, you know, sort of get a touch sensation if I really deeply focus for ages oh, wow. and ages. So you know, is he with us now as we're talking? Oh, yeah. He's sort of, you know, just in my head. There's a whole whole other thing about thoughtscapes and all that that I could get into, but no, he's just hanging out. Just chilling. Just chilling. Okay. So, uh, when, when, is there a time, you know, in the little that I've read and I know there's so much out there, but is there a time when he takes over? Um, I personally wouldn't use the term taking over. Okay. I'd sort of say it's more like fronting. Oh, all right. You know, it's like taking on a different posture to convey a different sort of, I hesitate to use the, use the word, but aura, you know, uh-huh. they can sort of, you know, give you a little extra pep or, you know, if you're nervous, they can, you know, kind of be like, put a little more confidence into my voice. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um, is there... Is there an almost is is there an instantaneous way that he can then front and you can take a back seat or does it happen over time or can you uh, control no, it's, it? Um, it's absolutely one hundred percent controlled. We can do it. I mean, at this point, we've practiced it long enough that, in a sense, it's sort of just like taking a deep breath, and it's really impossible to describe like sensation just because it's sort of just like a slight tingle all over. It's fascinating. Uh, So can we talk to him? D took a moment to, as he says, let Chip take over and speak. We weren't sure if he would talk to us or not. 
But here you go. So can I talk to Chip as well while I'm talking to you? You can absolutely talk to Dee while you're talking to me. Ah, am I talking to Chip right now? Yes, indeed. Chip, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. I'm honestly kind of sluggish in the morning, so I'm still one waking up. So, Chip, while while Dee has uh, the shifts uh, going on at the restaurant and everything, you're you're right there, uh, part of it too. You you got to work too. Not necessarily. I mostly just hang out, and you know, if he needs a quick burst of inspiration on how to get a little extra tips on his bill or something like that, I might step in, suggest something, or awesome. You know, maybe a tables being extra. Uh, can I swear? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, when tables are just being absolute bitches, I might, you know, step in, be like, you know, hey, here's the situation. This is exactly how it is. I'm sorry, you know, mm-hmm. I handled it a bit better than him just because he gets a D gets a little bit, you know, nervous sometimes. Mm. Okay, he's not great with confrontation. To be totally honest, Chip, are you the same age as D? Um, I've always seen myself, and he's always seen me as slightly older oh, than okay. him. Okay. So, sort of like an older brother. Is that where that confidence comes from? Because you're a little older and a little wiser? Um, you know, I actually hadn't really considered that before. Mm. I've always kind of considered it more just personality. Okay. I've been, you know, always just been a strong, confident friend and, you know, playing out in the woods and all that. I was the strong knight that we could, you know, D could fight and all that or training in the woods with swords and stuff like that. Um, this is fascinating to me. Do you remember what's like your earliest memory of being with D? That's a good question. Honestly. Um, Hmm. So obviously probably just, uh, you remember probably, being yeah. out in the woods. You remember that? Yeah. That's probably just when it all started. Yeah. Probably maybe when he was about six I think we were hanging out with a couple of his friends, Agatha and Arthur. And this is when we were actually living in Michigan. Um, No, I believe we were just hanging out, running around. They had introduced me to soccer. Well, they had introduced D to soccer and I took witness. Mm -hmm. He did not like it. I thought it was kind of fun. Awesome. So there are differences, obviously, between the two of you. is there uh, there are things that you enjoy a little more than 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 D? Are are do you guys ever? Is there ever a time where you get sick of each other? Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, honestly, yeah. D, oh my gosh, he gets so pessimistic sometimes, and you know, it's not that I get sick of him; it's just t- tough to listen to a lot. But at the same time, I also know exactly how to bring him out of it, so I'm not just going to ditch him. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to help him, you know, be like, hey, you know, dude, we're going to be cool. You know, here's some suggestions, you know, check out, see, like, if we're short on rent or something, just be like, hey, you know, there's a couple places where we could pick up shifts. You know, let's check that out. Maybe call up a few people. Don't worry. We got it. Mm-hmm. So are you ever do you ever feel stifled by the the role that you that you have here or or do you feel like there's enough freedom for you to kind of step up front as, as, as D put it and, 
and kind of have your time uh, with, I assume, his his body doing kind of what you want to do? Um, I mean, it's not even that I'm, like, stifled because there's another technique in, you know, crafting a tulpa and all that called visualization, like force visualization. Uh, Dee mentioned it as, you know, the self-induced hallucinations before mm-hmm. where it's basically just extreme flexing of the imagination. It's you can not exactly see, but you can overlay your imagination onto the world around you or, you know, sort of look inward and imagine what's going on around you in real time, but with me added in. Oh, okay. So you can, in that, in that way, you can uh, participate more, it seems like. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, the way it's always kind of been for me is I'm not really bound by the laws of physics because, again, I am a product of imagination. Why should I be bound by physics? Mm. So if I feel like it, I can just walk through a wall or float or whatever. Sure. Uh, and then is there a way, and again, forgive me for my ignorance on this, but is there a way that tulpas can communicate with other Tulpas, uh, is there a, or, or is that not in any way possible? Um, I mean, since D has two tulpas, I can talk to his other tulpa just fine. Right. Personally, I don't think two tulpas could communicate without some kind of medium between them. Okay. Text, writing, you know, drawing, anything. Because hmm. I believe that kind of extends into like telekinesis and stuff, which totally valid. I. I'm no expert on telekinesis, and if somebody can do that, that would be amazing. I would love to talk to just somebody else's tulpa from an entirely different mind. Right. Yeah. That sounds good. No? Uh, yeah. And and now uh, now when you're talking to me, D is just kind of in the background chilling. Yeah, he's just listening, just you know, composing his own thoughts. I figure. Uh. I thank you so, so much for this. Is there anything else that you want to, that you, I mean, you don't get this chance very often, right? So is there anything else that you want to say about this topic at all about, about, you know, coming straight from the Tulpa's mouth as it were? Um, well, I suppose it's not even exactly Tulpa based. It's just a general message. I'd like to say, don't listen to everything the internet has to say about Tulpa's. Mm. There's a lot of whack jobs out there. Mm. Yeah, that's about it for me. I really appreciate talking to you, though. I'm honored to be able to to, to do this. Uh, so, do you wanna do you wanna put D out front again? Yeah, that is absolutely fine with me, man. Thanks, brother. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a good one. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm back. so D, when so you're back, D. Uh, yeah, present. So when you go through that little switch, does that take a little bit out of you? No, it's actually kind of like energizing. Okay. I feel, you know, it's not like, it's like taking a big old drink of coffee or something like that, I think. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um, so we talked a little bit about uh, about Chip's kind of role, his, his purpose, his... Uh, his uh, thing, which I assume you can hear all that while we're talking, right? Mm-hmm. Any comment at all on that conversation or, or, or his thoughts or, or, or what, what do you think about that? No, nah, he's actually pretty spot on. He's 
basically the like ultimate wingman is just kind of always there kind of always available he's got advice he can you know if i'm nervous he might even do something to like make me laugh and break off a little tension or something that's cool you know if i'm you know going out at a bar he'll encourage me to be like hey you guys want to play a round of pool with me you know i'll buy the next game or something dr vissier says that so long as the tulpa is helping and not hurting the person these kinds of voices aren't a bad thing i think it is true on average to venture that a lot of tulpa mentors were basically a little bit lonely perhaps not necessarily full-fledged depression, but some kind of social isolation. Perhaps kids who, again, because they were a little creative, a little sensitive, some of them might have been bullied in school, or some of them just might not have had any friends. Um, so then topomancy becomes just also a way to be less lonely, and I think on two counts. So first, uh, yes, you get this great companionship from your tulp- from your topaz, but what is often under underplayed in how we talk about topomancy is that you also become a member of the topomancy community. You make other friends online who also have topaz who sort of value what you do. So it's yet another way of you know gaining some kind of belonging. And it does seem that um, a lot of topomancers report being able to navigate everyday life better with the help of their topaz. Um, and, and this is one of the many things that I find wonderful about the practice. Uh, and, and the last thing I, uh, I'll mention is that in, in, in psychology, it's, it's not well known, but it is known that children who develop uh, really vivid imaginary friends tend to become better at empathy. They tend to become better at relating to actual other people. So that would be another thing that we're currently investigating is it's very possible that by virtue of developing imaginary friends and taking a lot of time, I guess, interacting with other minds, even if they're inside your head, that makes you better at interacting with real people and understanding their needs. You know, and there's usually three dimensions. Is someone stressed out? Do they have personal distress? Do they report that they have difficulty functioning because of whatever's going on in their head? And then do other people also report that they're, uh, that they're messed up? And does that impair their personal functioning, social functioning, and professional functioning. But you know, there are people who, they hear voices, uh, they might not even be topomancers, and it gives meaning to their lives, it makes them happy, it does not bother their loved ones, they're able to get up and go to work and contribute to society, then there's no problem, then there's no mental illness, right? So, um, did you notice any difference between D and Chip there? I, I think I did. There was, I think there was a little bit of difference when it came to like attitude. Yeah. Chip had a, a, a little more confidence. Right. Now I will say, you know, there are instances where female tulpamancers will have male tulpas and there will be a definite difference between the voices. Um, all right. Well, this say what you will. This is a population that is growing. Um, It's finding coverage in the mainstream media. Psychology Today wrote about this phenomenon in 2016. I think Business Insider covered the topic in 2018. The New York Times wrote about this way back in 2013. So it's not as fringy as you might think. The New York Times breaks every story, don't they? Not really. Oh, okay. No. All right. We'd like to thank Dr. Samuel Paul Vessier, David Weatherly, and D. Aloysius and his tulpa for sharing their stories with us today. So let's talk about uh, other unlikely friendships, Ryan. 
Did you know that a full-grown Barbary lion and a tiny dachshund wiener dog could be best friends? On our website, Ripley's.com. Read about how the unlikely pair have been friends at an Oklahoma animal park since they were just six weeks old. Believe it or not. Abby and Bone Digger have been lifelong friends and they chase and play at the park. Read about their story as well as other unlikely friends at Ripley's.com. We've talked a lot in this episode about different personalities, but as it turns out, I don't think we in the public really know what we're talking about. Dr. Vessier told us that multiple personality disorder is not really what the disorder is called. It's dissociative identity disorder, or DID, a rare condition in which two or more distinct identities or personality states are present in and alternately take control of an individual. Some people describe this as an experience of possession. The person also experiences memory loss that is too extensive to be explained by ordinary forgetfulness. In 2018, Dr. Alan J. Francis wrote an essay for Psychology Today where he argued that the diagnosis is bunk. Multiple personality disorder has always been controversial and contagious, he said. Recurrent false epidemics have occurred several different times during the last century. The trigger is usually either the widespread copycatting of a popular movie or book or the fevered preachings of a charismatic guru or both. He noted that multiple personalities was an extremely popular diagnosis when hypnosis was in vogue 130 years ago, then emerged again 60 years ago when the movie The Three Faces of Eve became popular. It was revived 40 years ago following the movie Sybil and its many imitators and reached a peak 30 years ago when several people started conducting weekend workshops all over the country, minting an army of what he called poorly trained therapists who suddenly diagnosed and treated it in all of their patients. He also said, quote, having seen hundreds of patients who claim to house multiple personalities, I have concluded that the diagnosis is always or at least almost always a fake, even though the patients claiming it are usually but not always sincere. In every single instance, I discovered that the alternate personalities had been born under the tutelage of an enthusiastic and naive therapist, or in imitation of a friend, or after seeing a movie, or upon joining a multiples chat group, or maybe some combination of all of those. It was most commonly a case of a suggestible and gullible therapist and a suggestible and gullible patient, influencing one another in the creation of new personalities. None of the purported cases had a spontaneous onset, and none was the least bit convincing." Regardless, we here at Ripley's will continue to bring stories to you and all of your personalities or your tulpas or your friends or even your pets. Believe us or not. Believe it or not. Ripley's Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner. I edit the show. The Notcast is recorded at the historic Herzog Studio, home of the nonprofit Cincinnati USA Music Heritage Foundation. The Notcast intro theme was put together by Colton Cruz, and our ending theme song is by the band Wussy. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or even just tap that fifth star. For better or worse, it's very helpful. Or if you hate us and want to let us know that, email us at notcast at ripleys.com or tweet at ripleys. Next week on the Notcast, we take you back to World War II era Nazi Germany after Hitler's army has been defeated and the trials for thousands of war criminals were soon to begin. Except for the scientists that the United States welcomes into the country to work. We investigate Operation Paperclip on the next Ripley's Believe It or Not cast. Don't listen to everything the internet has to say about tulpas. There's a lot of whack jobs out there. Believe it or not.